Jesus, the God-man. I will give a disclaimer before I even go into the text. As I attempt to unravel the mystery of God and man in one person, Jesus Christ, it is not an easy task. Uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for at least several years. But to be honest, which every Christmas comes around, I have to say to myself, I cannot handle this doctrine. Though I believe it, totally. The Bible clearly teaches it. I love it. But to try to articulate it, it was beyond my grasp. Today I feel like I might be able to make an attempt at this grasp of articulating how in one person, Jesus Christ, he was fully both God and man. He never ceased to be fully God. He never ceased to be fully man. He wasn't a little less than God. He wasn't a little more than man. He was both God and perfect man. So please keep this in prayer as we go. As a matter of fact, let's pray now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the truth, Father God. As we attempt to unravel the mystery of godliness. He came in the flesh. Vindicated by the spirit. Seen by angels. God, give us grace and aptitude to understand this great mystery of the Christian faith. Somehow, somewhere, I pray that these words, these insignificant words and thoughts of mine can somehow do justice to this mighty, high doctrine of the Christian faith, Father God. God, be kind to us today as we go through these texts, Father God, as we try to unravel some way and wrap our minds around and our heart around more to love Christ and understand Christ than we ever did before. Bless this sermon, I ask, in Christ's name. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. I will be reading from verse 26 to 35, a familiar text of scripture. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called the Holy the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. Uh, as I gave my disclaimer first, to try to articulate what happened uh, is very challenging. To try to refute that Jesus Christ is not both God and man, you cannot do the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament clearly proclaim. Don't try to describe, don't try to convince. It's a proclamation of the deity and the humanity.
humanity of Jesus Christ fully. Our minds can easily drift from such a high doctrine. It's, it's, it's easy to just start to drift away as we try to wrap our mind around such a concept, such a truth, such a reality. But again, we're going to try to do the best we can. I want to start with application first, something preachers don't usually do when it comes to the application of a sermon. We do that last, or during, but never before. But when it comes to the application of this sermon and this doctrine, the only thing we can really do is sit back and be in awe of the grace of God. That's it. It's like watching a magnificent sunset. You don't do anything. It does something to you. And so it is with theology and scripture. There are times where we can take practical theology, theology, we can run with it. But is this something that over the years of our life we think about and we meditate and it sort of humbles us and it, 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 it crushes our pride and it, it lifts and elevates our spirits and our minds to a place that only God can bring us. We should be in awe as this doctrine is set before us over the course of our life and it should have a deeply humbling and brokenness effect on our lives. When it's rightly understood by God's children, this is what it should do. And that it should grip our minds and souls throughout our whole life, not just today. If this sermon was to touch your heart today and then not remember it at all, then I know I failed in the application of this text. But I pray by God's grace it's something that grips your heart today. And it's something you think about not just this season, but every season of our life. I know it has touched me more than any thing I've ever studied out in all the years of my preaching, this is the one that has mesmerized me, has brought me to tears, has brought me to deep prayer and seeking God on this, and to the point of saying, God, I might not want to preach this, because I would hate to do any kind of injustice to the God-man, Jesus Christ. The outline of today's sermon will be this. I will define the doctrine using the Chalcedonian Creed from 451 A.D. I'll explain that as we go along. I will give an illustration along with two principles from Scripture to help aid us in trying to understand uh, the God-man, Jesus Christ. I will talk about it, what happened at conception, what happened throughout his life, and the redemptive purposes for it, and I'll have some closing remarks. Uh, what I'm going to try to do today is somehow wrap our mind around that Jesus Christ was absolutely human, but yet omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all at one time. How can that be? How can that be? Let me start off with defining the doctrine. It's to try to understand how Jesus Christ one person could have two natures, both divine and human. Well, this is a, a doctrine that has always uh, been part of the Christian church, but it was always under attack by certain people throughout the centuries. In 451 AD, it was under attack again. There were those who were claiming that Jesus Christ, they couldn't comprehend that Jesus Christ was one person uh, with two natures, divine and human. They couldn't comprehend that. So what they tried to do, certain uh, Christian teachers would just say, well, he was all divine. And he was just a mere human, but he 
really wasn't human like me and you. Or he was fully human and he wasn't divine. Or he was just a little more than human. He was a superhuman. But he could not be God because God can never take on human flesh. And so what happened in 451 uh, AD, the Chalcedonian uh, Creed was formed. And what happened? You had 400, uh, 500 bishops from around the Mediterranean world come together. And they articulated against these heresies exactly what the Bible teaches and exactly what the Christian church teaches and believes. And they came out with this, that Jesus Christ is one person, fully man, and he's fully God. Listen to how they wrote it out. If we can put that up. I'll read it. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead, also perfect in manhood, truly God, truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with us according to manhood in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all the ages of the Father according to the Godhead. In these latter days, for us and our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten. God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers had handed down to us. Let me paraphrase that before you get really confused, okay? The language, without a doubt, is awkward. But here's the statement. Jesus is both fully God and fully man in one person, having the characteristics of both at the same time. Jesus Christ was as human as me and you. He felt sorrow. He felt joy. He felt overwhelmed. He felt concern. He felt compassion. He felt love. He knew what it means to be loved. Uh, he grew weary. He got tired. He had to learn. He had to uh, apply energy, so on and so forth. We can go on and on and on. But at the same time, he was also omnipotent. He had all the power of the universe. He was the ruler and creator of the universe. He was everywhere at one time in the whole universe. God's presence is everywhere. He was omniscient. He knew everything about anything there possibly could all at the same time. Figure that out. If you're looking for a brain teaser, don't go any further than that. But this is what I'm going to try to unravel. Right? Because let me just say this. How can that be? Do you believe that? I do. 
intuitively, I believe that with all my heart. I don't question that doctrine whatsoever. But I can't stop there. I've got to say, how does that work? How can that be? Does the scriptures give us any insight how Jesus Christ in one person could actually have two natures, one a human being and one divine God? How can they co-mingle together? How can they come in perfect unison in the one man, Jesus Christ? I'm going to draw upon two texts of scripture and then I will give an illustration to help us and I'll talk about it. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to 52. And when they had performed everything according to the Lord of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in a group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished at his mother and said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Some translations say about my father's business. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased, could you say increased? Increased. In wisdom and in stature in favor with God and man. We turn to Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among you also, which is in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Another translation would say, made himself of no reputation, or he emptied Himself. Please say emptied himself. Let me give you a story. Watching TV several years ago, I saw a reporter of means. He was wealthy. But he wanted to know the plight of the homeless. He took it upon himself to join the homeless society. He emptied himself of his privilege as a wealthy man a very privileged man, a very honored man in society, he emptied himself to to live the plight of the homeless. 
And while he was on the street, he learned to survive on the street. He learned to eat from garbage cans. He learned to beg. He learned to, to wash cars. He did whatever he had to do to survive, to understand the plight of the homeless. He never once ever relied upon his wealth or his position in life. He emptied himself of that right as he took on the plight of the homeless. In a way, that's what Christ has done for us. When he emptied himself, though he was fully divine, like that man was wealthy, he chose never to use his divinity at all in his life. He relied on his humanity. Just like the man never chose to use his wealth or his prestige or his prominence or his influence. But he lived life as a homeless man to survive. When Christ came here, that's what he did for you and me. Rest assured is, though he was fully God, he lived life as a man. His divinity never outran his humanity, ever. If you need a picture, it was almost like his divinity was a half a step behind his humanity. Never once influenced his growth. Never once influenced what he did. He grew as a man, as you and me would do, from the moment the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary's womb and her ovum, her seed, became alive and fertilized by the Holy Spirit. That seed that was fertilized by the Holy Spirit was set apart and consecrated by the power of God and removed from all stain of original sin. This child grew up with Mary's DNA. Jesus probably looked like Mary. There was no earthly DNA, no fatherly DNA. Jesus most likely had a personality like his mother. Probably the same eyes. You look just like your mother. I remember an Italian woman saying that. You look just like your mother and a little bit like your father. <laughs> Jesus looked like Mary. He grew up with all the characteristics of his mother. This is when the emptying began at conception. And through the first trimester and the second trimester and the third trimester, even into birth, he grew like you and I would grow. There was nothing special about it except that he was sanctified and set apart from original sin. Period. And when he came out, he didn't come out playing the piano like some prodigy. He didn't come out quoting the encyclopedia or the Old Testament. He grew. Remember, he increased in wisdom. Like you and I would go to school and learn, Jesus went to school and he learned. He didn't have to sit around and say, you know something, I'm God. I'll just, I'll chill. I'll let all the other kids do the work and I'll just show up on test day and, and blow all the rabbis away. He learned to submit to his mother and father. He learned to be part of the community. He learned his Old Testament scriptures. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew as not just a fetus, but he grew as uh, a child. And he grew in adolescence. And he grew through 
puberty. He grew as a, a young adult. He grew as an adult like anybody else would. He matured like anybody else would. There are differences uh, between him and me and between him and you. He never sinned. Nothing ever derailed him or sidetracked him or distracted him from natural growth and a love for God and a love for humanity. He fulfilled the two commandments of loving God and loving people. He grew, the Bible says, in favor with God and man. Understand something, when you love God, even from your youngest, and you love man like yourself, you will grow in favor with God and man. You cannot fulfill the first and second commandment and not grow in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in favor in God all along, his divinity, his omnipotence never outran his humanity. And he learned. He suffered. Most likely Joseph, his earthly father anyway, died somewhere along the line. Most likely he supported the family. He felt pain. He knew loss. He looked around and saw sin. He lived under oppression of Roman oppression. He saw what the religious leaders were doing. They were hypocrites when it came to the law of Moses. When he cleansed the temple out at 30 years old, he could have did that at 12 years old. Now here is where his divinity influences, so to speak, his humanity. His divinity did cameo appearances. You know what cameo appearances? I like those. I like to watch a movie and you see like Vincent Price come out of nowhere. You know, somebody from like an, an old horror movie from the 40s. You know, I like cameos. Well, when Jesus was 12 years old and they were looking for him and they found him in the temple and out of nowhere he says, do you not know I should be about my father's business? Understand something. Jesus Christ knew he was divine. Do you remember what John says in the book of John? His pastor John's been going through it. The ego emmies of John's gospel. The self-awareness that Jesus Christ had of his divinity. Didn't he say to Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am? No man could say that. Only divinity could say that. Only divinity could say, before Abraham was, I am. But only divinity could say to the Jewish people, I'm in my father's house about my father's business. Moses didn't say that. Ezra didn't say that. Nehemiah, David, the prophets didn't say that. John the Baptist didn't say that. No, Christ could say that because he knew he was divine. But he didn't have to go around broadcasting it. It wasn't a redemptive moment. That was a redemptive moment for Mary and Joseph to realize that my son is different. And they pondered these things in their heart, though they did not understand what he said. Come next week, I will speak about the Blessed Virgin. The proper understanding of Mary. They did not understand. He was speaking from his fully conscious that he was divine. This was not some kind of strange statement from a 12-year-old filled with enthusiasm. He knew that he was Almighty God. 
time to go to the cross wasn't yet. He still had to grow. Because he wasn't just going to be the Lamb of God. He's going to be the merciful and faithful high priest, tempted in all things at 8, at 12, at 14, at 18, at 20, at 25, at 30. He's going to be the faithful and merciful high priest, tempted in all things all his life, from his youth up without sin, so that anyone can go to him, young or old, and find mercy and grace. His divinity never outran his humanity until that strange cat came out of the desert preaching, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make all your straights, all your crooked straights, all your crooked paths straight. John the Baptist came preaching and Jesus knew it's time. He went out to be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, came out of the water, went into ministry, and that is when you see the greater self-revelation of his divinity. He could say to his disciples, to see me is to see who? Is humanity saying that? His humanity was full aware of his divinity. It wasn't like his his divinity was over here one moment and his humanity was over here another moment. No, they were both together simultaneously working through the one person. But the only time he spoke of his divinity is in redemptive purposes. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Thomas, and I hope you're not, <laughs> one of those pseudo gospels that people found, and you know, it's like a big conspiracy. The Christian church has been holding out with these, 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 these gospels. They're fanciful little anecdotal stories of a baby Jesus doing miracles, these whimsical tales, no redemptive purpose towards it, whatever. Everything Jesus said concerning his divinity, everything he did in the power of the Spirit had a redemptive purpose to it. It was for the salvation of sinners. It wasn't curiosity. It wasn't a, uh, uh, some kind of something noble to do, something to just try to, to, to play games. No, it had a purpose. It was part of God's plan to save sinners from their sins. Everything Christ did. He could say, to see me is to see the Father. He could say, I and the Father are one. I'm in the Father. And the Father is in me. If you're not familiar, his disciples would go away scratching their heads saying, what did he just say? What, what is he talking about? But yet, they knew he had the words of life. They knew it. They knew he was the Christ. They knew he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Could Peter actually say, yeah, we know. We know you're fully man and fully God. We know, sure, we've known that for years. But since you made the water into wine, we knew right away you were God. Absolutely not. Don't you think that Mary should have known that the holy thing in her was the Son of God? But yet when, she, when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, they didn't know. Mary had no idea. She knew something awesome about her son. She knew somehow, some way, he's the Messiah. Somehow, some way, he's going to sit on the seat of David. But she didn't know yet. She wasn't born again. You need to be born again. 
She didn't know. She had, she treasured everything in her heart. Come next week, I'll teach you more. She needed to be born again. Everybody needs to be born again to understand. But there's a crux in the whole thing. It's found in Matthew chapter 24, 36. Jesus talking about the end times. People were curious when these end times are going to come. What does Jesus say? No one knows, not even the Son, but the Father. When you read the thinkers, the Christian commentators and theologians on this, they'll say at this moment, Jesus was in his humanity. As though he turned off his divinity. Then he would jump back into his humanity. The truth of the matter is that's the best answer you can get. But I thought about this. I'm not being dogmatic. Okay? I don't mind correction. Everything Jesus said concerning himself was clear in Old Testament scripture. As he grew up meditating on the scriptures, remember what he said in John 5? You search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But they only point to me. Jesus saw everything about himself as this human boy at 8 and 10 and 12 studied the Old Testament scriptures, he's like, that's me. I'm the seed of the woman. I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. That's me. I'm the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. That's me. I'm the burning bush. That's me. I'm the angel of the Lord. He knew Jesus never spoke out of the Old Testament revelation. Everything he said ever concerning himself is found at least in seed form in the Old Testament. Except one thing. The Old Testament says there's a second coming. The Old Testament says Messiah is going to reign, but it never says the day it's going to. So Jesus could actually say, I don't know. It's not the Old Testament. Everything else I've spoken is from the Old Testament. But the Old Testament makes no reference to the time and the day of Messiah's coming. So the truth of the matter is, I don't know. But you're God. You, to see you is to see God. Well, the Old Testament taught me that. I know that. Now, that might sound like a jump, but here's the reason for it. Jesus Christ never, ever for a moment ceased to be human. He was under the limitations of a human being. He learned like anybody else would learn. What it did to him on the inside is totally different to me and you. We cannot enter into that and figure that out. Now, it might sound like a little overthinking, but the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And that we need 2,000 years later to really remember the true humanity of Christ. That this man walked this earth with nothing more than a heart that loved God. That loved the commandments of God. That sought to do nothing else but the will of God and carry it through to completion. That's all that burned in this man, Jesus Christ's heart. 
And all along, his divinity was a cameo appearance because he never ever wanted to give the, the implication that he was God. He never said it. He just received the worship. When they said, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? He says, it is as you say. Not me. I'm the Son of Man. When the, when the demons came out and they said, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Son of God. He didn't deny it. He knew who he was. But he was here to live out his life as a man. Let us never, ever forget that. More could be said. It sort of takes away the thought that he was a man, and every once in a while his divinity spoke as though there was another voice. No, Jesus, don't say that. Say this. No, Jesus, don't say that. Say this. He didn't have to have this deliberation in his mind. There weren't two voices. He knew from the Old Testament who he was, period. And this is what grew in him. When he went to the cross, he went as the sinless son of God. He went as a man, as a living sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. Sinless, without stain, as Hebrew says, separate from sins. Speaks to his humanity. I want to speak about two Redemptive purposes. One's found in Romans 8.3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How many are familiar with that text? Okay, thank you very much. A couple of hands. Bless God. This is what I believe Paul was saying. In every step Jesus took all his life, he condemned sin in the flesh. Sometimes we think that Jesus, just at the cross, that this is sort of sacrificial language over here. Paul dealt with that in chapter 3. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. When Paul says that he condemned sin in the flesh every step Jesus took all his life, growing up as a child, growing up as a young man, growing up as an adult, every time he denied sin, every time he denied temptation, every time he took down Satan by the word of God, he was condemning sin in the flesh. And when God put him at the cross, he condemned our sin. Through, through one man sin entered into the world through another man righteousness Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 5 Hebrews 2 is familiar we all know it since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same nature that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There are four purposes over here for Jesus Christ living in the flesh. First of all, is to destroy the power of death. Do you know you will not die? Do you know that the second death swallows up the first death? And those who are born twice only die once. Do you not know that death for us is just a parting to see God face to face? Christians don't really die. We live forever. You don't live forever when you die. You're already living forever if the Spirit of God is in you. It frees us from the fear of Satan and death, which sin opens us to. Because Jesus Christ, the God-man, lived and died for us, he's our propitiation. He appeased God's wrath for our sin debt, which we deserve. And because the God-man came and died and raised again and sits at the right hand of God, now he's our first faithful and merciful high priest. He's sensitive, he's kind, he's loving, he's liberating high priest, which weak humanity needs desperately. We need a high priest who's been tempted in every way without sin. I don't know about you. I don't know how your remorse goes. I don't know how your pleading goes. But when I know I've blown it, I need to go to a God I know just doesn't love me, but can sympathize with my failures. This is what Jesus Christ has secured for us, amongst many other reasons and purposes for his living out in humanity. Let me close with this. How hard is it to grasp the reality of the Son of God becoming a man? How hard is that? Let me see one head shake. Thank you. It was not a trick question. And to see that his divinity did not outrun his humanity. You know, there's only one time in the Gospels they really saw his divinity. Only one time. You know? The Mount of Transfiguration. You know there's a difference between the Mount of Transfiguration and for 40 days they saw his resurrected body? It's not the same thing. Did you think it was the same thing? It's not. The Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Christ in glory. He radiated like the sun. They saw him in all his divinity. The resurrection, they saw a glorified Christ. They saw the glorified man. He still had wounds. He still ate. They saw a glorified humanity. They saw the glorified Christ. They didn't see his divinity. But they knew he was divine. Let me ask you this. I know it's hard to grasp. I have a hard time grasping this. But let's remember some of our own self-awareness that's hard to understand or even hard to explain. I want to speak to everybody who's born again. Can you sit down at a table and tell your family, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that true? Do you go around telling everybody you are? Of course not. But yet you are. You can say, and I can say, that the Father and the Son have made their abode in us. That's a true statement, isn't it? 
Do you go around telling everybody? Did Jesus have to go around telling everybody he was divine? But was he? Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? You have to go telling everybody? But are you? We can say with Paul, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. Would you go to a Jewish Orthodox person and say, you know something, the Messiah liveth in me? It's no longer a while to live anymore? They think you're off your rocker. Is it true though? Do you understand it? I don't really. I know I'm born again. I can't grasp it. It's true though. Can you comprehend you're born a second time? Can you comprehend you're a co-heir with God's Messiah? Can you comprehend you're a priest unto God? Can you comprehend you're going to judge angels? They're all New Testament realities and truths. But we don't go around flaunting it, do we? Was Jesus Christ divine? Did he go around flaunting it? There's no reason for it. The only time I talk to people and say I'm born again is when I have to give an explanation. I used to tell everybody I was born again. I never got a chance to tell them about atonement. They'd run away. I just say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And I speak to them about objective truth, not subjective reality. Are you with me? Are you following the line of reasoning? Christ knew he was fully divine, subjective reality. But he was more concerned about objective truth, not subjective reality. You see, Christ was perfectly aware of his divinity. Me and you are imperfectly aware that we're really new creations. What Christ was by nature, me and you are by adoption. As temples of the Holy Spirit, but we are by God's grace, period. Think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many people have exercised great patience in trying times? Is that human patience or is that divine patience working within us? But we don't broadcast to do it. It's natural to us now. We do it imperfectly, but at times it's perfectly there. We're not divine like Jesus, but divinity is working in us, unbeknownst to the rest of the world around us. Jesus Christ, God himself, walked around the world. He came to his own, and his own received him not. They had no idea. He didn't come around broadcasting. He pointed men to the objective truth. As he said to Nicodemus, he said these words, As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Objective truth. Didn't have to point men to his divinity. He was fully aware of his divinity. But he lived as a human. You know, there's a lesson to be learned here for us. We don't need to be super spiritual. Live the Christian life under the influence and the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Live a life of self-control and point men to the objective truth of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above, Lord. We thank you for this marvelous high doctrine that most likely, God, I might have even butchered. But I attempted, Father God, to step out in faith and obedience to try to 
comprehend with my brothers and sisters something of the mystery of the God-man, your Son and our Savior. How two natures were in one person. Somehow, someway, Father God, he lived and suffered and felt all the pain and sorrow that we feel today in our own personal lives, Father God. But yet, Father God, he was fully divine at all times, Father God. He <coughs> emptied himself of everything on our behalf, Father God. He who was called to rule the universe became a servant. Father God, help us to comprehend this greatness.